0: And he said this, he said, several years ago, Carl, I guess it's Rainer, and Mel Brooks did a comedy skit, and it was about a 2013-year-old man. And so in this skit, uh, Rainer, is it Rainer, I guess, Rainer, thank you very much, I knew someone would correct me on that, and I'll probably forget it. Rainer asked, uh, asked Brooks, who is the old man, um, he asked him this question, did you always believe in the Lord? And Brooks replied, no, we had a guy in our village named Phil, and for a time we worshipped him. And so he said, you worship a guy named Phil. Why? And Brooks replied, because he was big and mean, and he could break you in two with his bare hands. So he was asked the question, well, did you have any prayers? And Brooks said, yes, you want to hear one? He said, oh, Phil, please don't be mean. Don't hurt us. Don't break us in two with your bare hands. So when did you start worshiping the Lord? The skit went on. Well, one day a big thunderstorm came up. Lightning bolt hit Phil. We gathered around. And we saw he was dead, and we said to one another, "There's something bigger than Phil." You know, I, I was trying to think how I how I could possibly introduce Exodus chapter eleven and twelve, and that's the best I could come up with. There's something bigger than Phil. Um, you know, you know, friends, as I. As we come to the end of the plagues, um, just been reminded that we serve a great God. And quite honestly, there's there's just no way to truly picture and bring out the grandeur and the mighty power and awesomeness of God. As we see laid out for us in this last of the plagues and judgments that are brought upon the Egyptians when they finally do... Exactly what God said Pharaoh would do at the beginning. You will thrust my people out. And God proved himself to be God. And that very thing happened. And so a poor illustration to start, but a wonderful truth. There is is something bigger than Phil. And there's something bigger than you and something bigger than me. And there's something bigger than the greatest ruler of that day and the greatest ruler of our day today. There is a God in heaven who can do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask and think. And that God is active in this world. He was active thousands of years ago in working against the Egyptians when they had mistreated Israel. And it was time as God had promised to take them out of the land. And that same God is still alive today and working. And although we see a lot of wickedness in our world, just as there was wickedness in that day and evil going on towards God's people, there's still a God who's bigger than Phil, who's in control. And we can trust him with that and we can rely upon him. And I am so thankful that we learn that truth and we're going to be reminded of it. I mean, look, how can you explain what was going on in the plagues. I'm assuming that you kind of know what took place at the end here as we come to what's known as the Passover, what the Jews still celebrate today, by the way, thousands of years after the event. The Passover lamb is uh, is talked about here. And God did an amazing work. I mean, look, if I were to say to you today, God revealed to me that in, I don't know, 14 days, he's going to pour out his wrath on America and destroy millions by a plague. You'd think I was nuts. And, and rightfully so. I understand that. If I went on and said, if you'll listen to what I say, you can be spared from this judgment. If 10 days from now, you'll take a lamb and separate it from the flock and keep it in your backyard until the 14th day. And then if you'll sacrifice it, if you'll kill it and you'll cook it for supper and take the blood of the lamb and sprinkle it on the door, um, then it will protect you. I mean, you would think I'm absolutely lost it. I'm crazy. And by the way, to think anything less than what it would have seemed like in that day is the same thing. What kind of bizarre thing is this? Um, Now, you would think I was crazy, and you'd have good reasons to think that. And you probably think I'm crazy even if I didn't get up and say those things. And you have good reason for that as well. But... The truth of the matter is you would have a reason to think, man, this is crazy. But what happened in Egypt is beyond the realm of reason. It's beyond the realm of possibility. And God proved himself to be the God of heaven and earth. Proved that to a lost man by the name of Pharaoh who had kept refusing or kept turning away from God and refusing to listen to him. And proved to all the Egyptians and to the Israelites as well. And by the way, to the people of Canaan who 40 years later were still quaking in their boots when the children of Israel entered the promised land. And you say, when did that happen? When Rahab said the people are petrified because we know what God did in Egypt. My friends, that story still has an impact today. Now, You think I'm dramatizing the story. I'm not. God wanted it to be burned in the mind of his people what he did. Now, I want you to consider its significance. The Jewish world today still commemorates this event. Well, we're talking about thousands of years, people, and the Jews still commemorate this event. Now, that's amazing. But God revealed how important this event would be. Do you know what he told Moses and Aaron? That they were supposed to make the month of the Passover the first month of the Jewish calendar. Look at chapter 12 and verse 2. This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Say, well, what's so significant about that? Well, I don't know about you, but you don't go around changing the calendar for anything. All right? But the Jews did. And they still go by that. This was, this was, a, this was a life-changing event. In verse 24 of chapter 12, we learn that this was supposed to be observed for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And so far, that has been the case. It was the judge then, judgment that got them out of, of God, that got them out of the land of Egypt and headed toward the promised land. It proved to the Egyptians, Israel, and the world around, there's no one like God. In fact, I think the theme for our time together as we're looking at these different chapters is kind of summed up in chapter 13 and verse 13. If you look over there, it says in every firstling, um, and that is not the right place. So I gotta find out where it is now. All right. Uh yeah, that is not the right place. So I will figure it out, and I will tell you what it is next time. All right? There is a theme that it says there's no one like God, and someone's going to find that for me during the message, and they won't pay attention to anything that's going on. All right, so let's, uh, let's take time this evening, and I can't believe I had the wrong reference in there, but, um, but let's take a look at the hand of the Lord, and I want you to see how God worked in a wonderful way, and we're going to begin in chapter 11 and in verse 1. And if you want an outline, I hope there is enough for everyone tonight. I hope you'll be challenged and encouraged by this wonderful passage of Scripture and the mighty uh, message that there is a God in heaven that is bigger than everything. So let's read in chapter 11. The Bible says, The Lord said unto Moses... Yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Speak now in the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor, and every woman of her neighbor, jewels of silver and jewels of gold. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of the people." And Moses said, Thus saith the Lord, About midnight will I go out into the midst of Egypt. And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none such like it, nor shall be like it any more." But against any of the children of Israel shall not a dog move his tongue against man or beast, that ye may know how that the Lord doth put a difference between the Egyptians and Israel. And all these thy servants shall come down unto me and bow down themselves unto me, saying, Get thee out and all the people that follow thee, and after that I will go out. And he went out from Pharaoh in a great anger. And let me pause right there and just remind you, remember at the end of the chapter, Pharaoh said, I don't want to see your face again. I see your face again, you're going to die. There's great question as to when this actually took place, okay? It could have been that when he said that and Pharaoh made that statement, then Moses ended by saying these things that God revealed to him. This is what's going to happen. This is next. And he goes out in great anger. On the other hand, because this isn't beyond God's ability, maybe he just had another hearing before Pharaoh. Uh, and God took care of it anyway, all right? But we do know that this is what he did, and this is what, uh, what Pharaoh heard. And, uh, and Moses said, you know, I may not see your face again. That's fine. Look at the end of verse 29. Moses said, chapter 10, Thou hast spoken well, I will see thy face again no more. Did he see his face? At least everything we know he did. When Pharaoh called him in and said, get out. Get out. Get out. Out! And God took care of working in a wonderful way. There is no one like God. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 9 of chapter 12, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. Chapter 12 then talks about how it's going to become, become the beginning of months. It's going to be the first month of the year for the Jewish calendar and, um, and how important this is and that lamb that's going to be offered. And we may get into it a little bit further and some other things in a little more depth. I don't know if we're going to come back to these chapters, but I would like to share with you just a few thoughts that have come to my mind and truths that I hope you'll find here, I know you'll find here in Exodus 11 and 12. First, I want you to see the message's evidence. There's two things, and if I wanted to say what sums up Exodus 11, 12, and 13, what sums up this great Passover passage, what sums up this great event when God reveals himself to be God to children of Israel, to Pharaoh, to the lost world around, all right? First thing is man is nothing. I know this is really profound, this is really deep, but we're going to be real simple this evening. Man is nothing. Men might do what we humanly think are extraordinary things. You know, I mean, there's people that go around and they rip phone books. Are there even phone books anymore, you know? But they go around and they prove they're mighty and folks just, you know, like they awe over these different amazing things that people can do. Uh, There's folks all the time that are taking, risking their lives and doing some crazy things in the name of, I don't know, popularity or proving that they are mighty and that they are wonderful. And, And people fawn over them. Let me tell you something. God proves over and over that no one can hold a candle to God. There is no one like him. And these plagues in chapters 11, 12, and 13, especially this last plague when God brings judgment upon the Egyptian nation as a whole, when God does that, he just reminds us that man is nothing. I love the passage, came across it this week as I was looking at the truth that we kind of see it laid out for for us in these chapters, that that man is nothing. Isaiah 40 really puts it well. You can write it beside that, that, uh, that point in the outline. Isaiah 40, 14 says this. With whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and taught him in the path of judgment, and taught him knowledge, and showed to him the way of understanding, talking about good. God, whoever did that? No one did. God doesn't need anyone to come and instruct him and give him knowledge. He goes on in verse 15, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Think about that. Okay, have you ever been at a football stadium and, and just looked around when you see a mass of people and we're just talking about one little, just one stadium? 50,000, 60,000, 70,000 people. You know, you see in Washington some some great, uh, you know, parade going on or some great protest going on, and you see hundreds of thousands of people. And and you know what the Bible says? The nations are just like a, a drop of the bucket. If we could if we could gather the nations together in one place, phew, nothing when compared to God. Um, and I it just saying the nations are as a drop of of a bucket. They're counted as oh, a small dust of the balance. You know what we're talking about? You have balances, you have scales, okay? You, you weigh things in the scales, it'd be like the dust on the scale. Got to make sure that all dust is off so you get an equal right measurement. And, and, and that's how Isaiah says the whole world is. And then verse 16 goes on in Isaiah 40. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor are the beasts thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. If we were to make offerings to God, burnt offerings like the children of Israel had to do and the law required, if we were to do that and do it adequately for God, you could burn all the trees of Lebanon, which was a huge thing in that day. You could offer all the different cattle and beasts, of the earth, and that wouldn't be a sufficient burnt offering for the glory and honor that God deserves. All nations before him are as nothing, they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. To whom will, then will ye liken God, or what likeness will ye compare unto him? What a powerful passage! And this chapter 11, 12, and 13 in the Passover is just a reminder of that very fact um just just think about it think about what took place here i i know we've got self-promotion going on all over in our world uh just the other day we heard a guy who was who was talking about the fact that he got himself in the guinness book of world records and not just one time but he got in the guinness book of world records three times and he just went on ad nauseum you've you've heard those kind of things haven't you this is like you know i'm really wonderful and uh and and that's the way we live. We live in a kind of world that, that that that's just it's accepted as normal. I appreciate myself. Okay, no one else does. But if you appreciate yourself, good. Glad for you. You know. And uh, and so yeah, you know it was an amazing thing. It, it came to the end. And and the statement he made right, at the end of all that. I mean, it was already like, oh come on, you got to be kidding. Get over this. You're get over yourself. He said, I'm real. It was like breaking his arm. and says, I'm really proud of myself. Uh, Let another man praise thee and not thy own lives. But we live in this, you know, everyone's hot stuff, you know. We're, we're special. We're amazing. We're truly wonderful. And, and man is nothing. Yeah, how do we see that? All right, for starters, we see a nation of at least 1.5 million people some say 2.5, some say even more than that, some say even up to 4 million people that were the, the nation of the children of Israel. And they were slaves. They were slaves in the land of Egypt. And they didn't have the power to do anything about their predicament, so much so that the Pharaoh had the, the power to, well, a number of years before that, kill the male babies. You, don't have, you know, you can't stand up for yourself. Uh, These things were going on. They were helpless to stand up to him. And they were helpless to leave the land. And they left the land just a few days later after this, or when this event took place. These people couldn't do anything. Powerless. Then we have a ruler who's one of the most powerful men in the world. And we find God both hardening his heart. Look at chapter 11 and verse 10. And then we have him. God breaking his heart in chapter twelve and verse thirty, and Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and said, There is and um, sorry, and and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go serve the Lord as ye have said. And rather than doing all the bar- bargaining and everything else, he said, take your flocks and your herds, as ye have said, and be gone, and bless me also. That's wonderful. Yeah. Give me a little blessing as you go out the door, and then I'm going to chase you. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's an amazing thing. Huh? What, what changed? Okay, no, You know nothing changed except God. God did something miraculous. Man is nothing. Okay, another thing I put down. A whole nation that has slaves serving their every whim give to those slaves anything they ask for. You ever thought about that? So that when the Israelites leave, God describes what they took with them as spoils. They spoiled the Egyptian. That's a term used throughout the Bible to indicate when someone went and conquered a nation, they took whatever they wanted. They saw something they liked, it's mine, not yours anymore, because we won. And that is what the Israelites did to what, probably millions of Egyptians. Isn't that an amazing thing? Let me tell you something man is nothing. God is everything. This story reminds us that God is everything. The hearts of men were controlled by God. The weakness of people was taken care of by God. No object was too great for God to overcome. My God is the supreme God of heaven and earth. Is anything too hard for the Lord? And this story in Exodus says, no. I can do whatever I want. Consider the Passover. Who do you know that could have such control that they pass without restraint into every home in Egypt in one night according to their will, not to what the Egyptians wanted? That there could not be one home without someone or something dead. That this being would also be able to pass over specific homes that have blood on the doorpost. Look, if you had an army of soldiers, you couldn't do such a thing in one night. Impossible but not with God, that's what happened. And it's an amazing picture and this story and these chapters are a reminder of that fact. So we have the message evidenced, man is nothing, God is everything. And this Passover event reminds us of that truth. Now the marvels examined or enumerated, let's just take a little bit of time. And, uh, and, and I know for weeks we've been walking through the plagues. I think we've shared like 28 truths to ponder. And some I know are kind of close to repetition. But that's fine. We need some repetition. In fact, tonight there's repetition. Because I'd like to just walk through these verses in this passage and show with you a number of the truths that we see enumerated for us and laid out for us. So in chapter 11. If you would, in verse 1, the Lord said unto Moses, yet will I bring one plague more upon Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards, he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. Uh, Verse 3 talked about that very fact. Uh, It talked about how Moses was great in the land of Egypt and, and the Pharaoh's servants. Look, God controls the hearts of men. God controls the hearts of men. Don't ever forget that. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, Proverbs tells us. And I got to tell you, I'm glad for that fact. And, uh, and, you know, as much as you can be concerned about what's going on in our world, in different countries, and in our own country, to just be reminded that uh, there's nothing beyond the hand of Almighty God is a wonderful encouragement and a wonderful reminder. God controls the hearts of men. In, uh, in chapter 11, in verse, uh, in verse 8, we see that the servants will come and bow down themselves. We see it in, in verse 10, and we see it just throughout this entire story over and over again. God proved himself mighty. There's a devotional comment, a commentary, uh, just a devotional, I'm sorry, about the biblical teaching of God's control of men and situations. And the reference was actually Daniel four seventeen. Where Daniel said these words, This matter is by the decree of the watchers, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it, giveth it to whomsoever he will. He setteth up over it the basest of men. The devotional then went on and said, God's supremacy over human rulers is expressed in three words, three different passages. Daniel 4, 25, he giveth it to whomsoever he will. He turneth the king's heart whithersoever he will, Proverbs 21, 1. And he overrules so that they do whatsoever his hand and his counsel has determined before it be done, Acts 4, 27 and 28. A, a, po- a poem kind of put it all together at the end. We comprehend him not, yet earth and heaven tell, God sits as sovereign on the throne and ruleth all things well. Um, God controls the, the hearts of men and he causes them to do what they would not normally and naturally do. Now, we do need to state the fact that the general rule of life is that God doesn't force people to do things. Now, in some cases, he does. It does seem like God worked in such a way and, if you would, forced his will upon them. He gives men a will to decide. But we can be confident of the fact that, look, no matter what happens in life, there is a God in heaven whose will is going to be accomplished. He will rule and reign someday. And Exodus is a reminder of that fact. This These events in this Passover event is just a reminder that God's in control. Um, and here, here's the thing you say, okay, well, God controlled Pharaoh. Yeah. Pharaoh was the one who ultimately gave the word to go, but God controlled, you know, what a million Egyptians, 2 million Egyptians, 3 million. I don't know how many there were, but I do know this. The whole country was affected. Look at verse three again. Lord gave people, the Lord gave people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And uh, and and worked, it's an amazing thing, isn't it? In mass, God worked in the midst of the hearts of people. Now, I again, I get this in mind: you don't give to your slaves nice things. Okay, all right. Imagine it this way: here I go. I go to uh, I go to some big party. I wouldn't? But I go to some big parties. There's a lot of rich and famous people. We're in Nashville. All right a lot of rich and famous people and, and so so i come in and there's this guy that comes in i you know i'm driving in my corolla you know, and this guy comes in as a lamborghini you know custom made lamborghini and the valet ignores or ignores me in my corolla you know and and goes to this guy in the lamborghini and drives his drives his vehicle off because <laughs> i mean how many times do you get to drive one of those things so so i see that and then uh, i go inside and because, you know, I'm so famous and, and everything, you know, I'm just invited in. And, and, and I, I see this lady, and she has this beautiful necklace, and it has diamonds. I mean, it's just diamond encrusted. Uh, diamond diamond crusts. It, it wouldn't be real if it, you know, if it was anyone in our church. But, you know, this lady, it's, those are real diamonds. And it's worth, I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars or whatever. It's just beautiful. And then there's this lady, and I shake hands with her, and she's got this this rock, you know, this rock on her finger, and it's you know it's about a quarter size, and it's real diamond. It's impressive. And then then I shake hands with with uh, you know one of the football players or whatever, and and he's got on each one of his hands he's got these gold rings and and all sorts of you know precious gems on him, and as we're shaking hands and. Then another another guy has eight thousand you know things around his neck. They're all gold, and man, it's impressive. You see all these all these different things, and and I see all these different people as I'm going through this event, and and so I go and I look for the food because <laughs> I'm a Baptist, uh, you know, and uh, and the food's great. And after I enjoy some food, I, I go over and, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting snacking on some of this great stuff that they got. And, and I go and I, I say, say to the lady, I said, that is just a beautiful necklace. And she said, would you like to have it? Yeah, sure. She takes it off the time necklace, hands it to me. And then, then I go, yeah, this is good. Things are looking good here. You know, so I go over and I, I, I shake the hand of the, the lady that has that that diamond. Man, that's quite a rock. You know, that's amazing. That must be worth a lot. She says, I, "I'd like you to have it." Sure. Sure. I mean, the one I gave my wife. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. Uh, you know, so so then I'm, I'm going to, to get in my Corolla. i got to walk to my Corolla myself. But as I'm walking across the, the main path, the, the Lamborghini comes flying by me. And I see the guy getting in. I said, nice wheels, man. And he says, hey, why don't you take it home? Crazy, right? I'm dreaming. I'm going to be set up for life. I Hey, let, let's... Why bother? I mean, we're doing well. I say, okay, I'll get the car in a little while. I go back in, shake, you know, ask the guy with all the rings on and say, hey, you know, you, you want to get rid of those? He says, sure. Why don't you take them all? And all the, you know, the guy with all the, all, the, all that yeah. Mr. T. <laughs> I say, yeah, you can give those. <laughs> I, I, I think I can get them on my arm here. I'm not going to put them around my neck. So I go home, man, I got I've got a lot of stuff going on. You say, crazy, never happened. This is an amazing thing. Okay, we talk about all the other things, but God is doing this so that the Egyptians went up and said, could I borrow that? Could I borrow your diamond? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Can oh, I've always loved that picture that yeah. Mona Lisa, I, you know, I just love that picture. Could I have it? Yeah, yeah, why don't you take it? And, and take that picture too. That one's worth a little bit more. Seriously, have you ever taken time to think through that these people just walked out with everything? And they were their slaves. They were not equals as far as those people were concerned. God had to do an amazing work. Do, do you get that? Seriously. You wouldn't do that with anyone because you're Baptist and you're cheap. That's what it is. <laughs> no. Here's the truth. You wouldn't do that with anyone. You wouldn't just give someone something that was really valuable to you. You just wouldn't do it, especially someone that was lower than you. You wouldn't You wouldn't go into Nashville, some guy ask you for your ladies for your diamond, some, some street guy, and you just, oh, yeah, sure, let me give it to you and that is what took place throughout the land of Egypt it's an amazing thing you know we marvel at the death of the firstborn but there was a God who was bigger than Phil that was doing some pretty amazing things in this story I mean just phenomenal things I mean those things it just doesn't happen so God, we know, controls the hearts of all men, and he proved that. God knows and controls the future. If you go back in chapter 11, verses 4 to, four to 7, you see God saying to, to uh, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen about midnight. This is what's going to take place. And, and it did. God knows and controls the future. God could tell Pharaoh in great detail exactly what was going to take place. In the next chapter, it happens just as God said. We are confronted with the truth that God knows the future and controls the future. We've been seeing that over and over in the book of Mark, where God has said, This is what Jesus said, this is what's going to take place next. You're going to deny me, Peter, and here's what's going to happen. And I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And Jesus w- could say that because he knows all things. God knows and controls the future. Uh, the third truth that we can glean, chapter 11, those same verses, verses 4 to 6, 4 to 7, God punishes evil. When I read the plagues in Egypt, I'm reminded that God is a God of judgment. Now, we're told that uh, truth. Look, if you would in chapter 12 and verse 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And here's what he said. I am the Lord. And he is. And so he is able to, and he does punish evil i'm going to bring judgment um chapter 11 and verse 7 god protects his own but against any of the children of israel shall not a dog move his tongue that's a great line No dog's going to move their tongue against you uh you know that that is against man or beast nothing's going to happen to the children of israel on that night god protects his own now we know this that god sometimes and we've already brought out this point didn't we Sometimes God allows judgment and and God allows, if you would, trouble to come our way. Some of the plagues did come on the the children of Israel and they lived through those things and they had to face some of the same difficulties. Um, But in many cases, at least in this case, God totally spared, completely spared them as well because God protects his own. Um, And then this is another truth. God can, and I love this, radically and quickly change your life. In one night, God changed, if you would, the, the, I don't like the word fortune, the fortune of the children of Israel. In one night, totally turned things around. And had they not blown it, they wouldn't have been in the wilderness 40 years waiting. But it was amazing how God radically and quickly changed their lives. And these words bring hope to the hurting and comfort to the afflicted. Hey, listen. Um, sometimes God goes with us through the difficulty and gives us grace. Um, sometimes God just removes it because He can do that, and that is encouraging. Um, here's another truth that we learn, and I, I wish we uh, and we're gonna we are we're gonna have to come back to these two chapters next probably next time we have opportunity to look at this passage. But uh, letter F, God gives His word to instruct. Through the plagues, God took time over and over to give his word to both the saved and the lost. Do you know that? Pharaoh was told just about every plague, here's what's coming next. Let the children of Israel go, make your choice, but here's what's going to happen. I'm going to lay it out for you. And he had a choice, and he could have made that choice. God gave him his word. Now, today, we don't have someone coming like Moses and saying, this is what God said. God told me judgment's coming on America Okay, by the way, you don't have to have anyone get up and tell you that. The Bible tells you that because of what's going on and direction our country is going. Um, it's real clear, and the word of God is clear. But God does give his word today, a miraculous book. God has communicated all we need to know for life. And if we ignore it, it's our own fault. But God gives his word to instruct, and I'm thankful for that. There's a mighty God at work. And then uh, the last thing is God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. After God has stated, God has spoken, it's good to be reminded that what he promised, he did. So every door that had the blood applied, no one was harmed. And every door that didn't, someone died. Someone or something. Something. Because man and beast, both, firstborn. God keeps his promises. So, again, this is just kind of an overview of these chapters. But let me, just the mandate explained. There's two things. In contemplating the Passover, a couple things ultimately come to mind. And the first is this. The children of Israel had no ability to get out of Egypt on their own. You understand that? Without great loss of life and great difficulty, there was no way they were leaving that land. No way. But I would say way. But you know what required on their part? Faith. Faith. It required Faith. Um, what faith? Well, let me ask you. If, if I got up in all sincerity and said, you need to take a lamb, enough for your family, one without blemish, kill it, um, take the blood, put it on the doorpost, and then eat that lamb, burn anything that's left the very next day, you'd say, crazy, nuts. And again, rightfully so, and today we understand that. But the point is, what God was asking was, was, what's the reason behind this? Come on. Say, well, we know, yeah, because we've studied the word of God and we know, we know how the Passover so beautifully pictures Jesus Christ as the lamb and all these other things that we glean because the scriptures have been written for a couple thousand years and we've had the advantage of study and the blessing of being able to look back over the whole and see the whole picture These people didn't have the whole picture. They hadn't seen any of this. The only thing they knew was captivity for over 400 years and and what God told their father Abraham, and they hadn't seen anything happen for hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of years, hundreds of years. Longer than the United States, uh, what, 150 years, 200 years, more than than the United States has been in existence, they had been in slavery. They hadn't seen anything. And God said, take this lamb and offer it. It took faith. Blood on the doorpost? Going to ruin my beautiful house? Come on. It just, it took great faith to do that. And to follow, God gave them specific instructions in regard to this. And if your family's too small, then you get someone to come in. And you all got to be in the house, and you got to stay in the house, and you got to put the blood on that door. And, and like every one of these things, it just it required great faith. And then think about this. I mean, okay, so we said God worked in the heart of the Egyptians. You know, the, the Israelites had to ask. Moses said, go ask them. Say you want to borrow it. I, was, I still like that line. Yeah, borrow of the Egyptians. (laughs) Hey, can I borrow your diamonds?
1: (laughs) Oh, man, I've always liked that
0: ruby. Can I borrow that ruby? Can I have your gold jewelry? Sure. But they had to ask. Didn't that require faith? Come on, seriously. Would you go and knock on the next door neighbor's house and say, I'd like your car? Yeah, after they punch you in the face, you won't do that again. Seriously, it took faith to say, you know what God said I'm going to do, and then start asking. And, man, I know if you did it a couple times, then you'd start probably going around, and you'd be knocking on everyone's door in the neighborhood. Man, <laughs> hey, we're doing good. Get the wheelbarrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isaiah, get the wheelbarrow. Come on, let's go. We're going to another neighbor's house. We're doing great. But it took faith, did it not? For someone to step out and ask those things, it's kind of like that's one of the most bizarre things you've ever asked me to do. It required faith. Um, And then it required obedience. Unless they did it God's way, they wouldn't have been spared. If the blood was not on the doorpost, they weren't spared. That was the truth. The instructions were specific. They had things to do. Spoiling the Egyptians required they step out in faith and go to those around them and trust God to have the Egyptians say, Yeah, sure, I'll let you have that. Now, look, the the truth is, we still serve a great God. But if we're going to see God do something, you know what it requires? The same things that required of the children of Israel. Faith and obedience. Faith and obedience. If someone's going to be saved, it takes, you say, obedience? What are you talking about? Faith and obedience. It does. You say, "Well, well, where's the obedience? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Faith, I called God, and he saves. Faith and obedience. And and whether it's the matter of salvation, whether it is the matter of any area in the in the Christian life, if I want to experience the great God of heaven and earth working on my behalf, it takes faith and obedience. Those that didn't have much faith left Egypt With probably not many jewels, those that had great faith walked out with just a, yeah, they had everything they could probably want. Faith and obedience. The results of the Passover had nothing to do with the people, but had everything to do with God rewarding people who are willing to believe God. And obey what God said. And here's the truth. Same thing happens today. Same thing. Faith and obedience. Great lesson. Taught by this beautiful Passover passage. Um, Besides the beautiful lesson of salvation. A tremendous picture that there is a God in heaven that is so far above and beyond what, what we could ever even imagine and can do great things. But we have to be willing to believe and obey. Let's pray. It's heads bowed and eyes closed. I-